Welcome and welcome. Uh, we're going to go through today dog ops. Uh, my name is Brandon Young. I'm with GitLab, and I lead up all of our alliances. So, kind of give you contact on that. Uh, that means I work with Amazon. I work with all of our partners. Uh, probably work with a bunch of you. Uh, today, what we want to do is give you a little bit of context of what you're seeing first. So, I'm going to give you a little context of uh, what WAG is using. And then we're going to spend the majority of the time, because I think you all are here not to hear from us, but to hear from Dave and the team at WAG on what they're up to. Uh, we're going to cover today uh, a pretty wide variety um, of pieces. So with that said, I want to introduce Dave. Dave is the VP of Engineering at WAG Labs. We are going to do our very best today to do as many dog puns as possible. I'm not nearly as good at it yet, but I've been practicing. It's going to be possum. It's, it's going to be possum? Possum. Pa possum. Excellent. We're in. Um, <laughs> so a couple of context in terms of what we see. So first off, uh, GitLab from the simplest of terms is a single DevOps tool that does everything from your planning to your deployment and your securing in between. We'll spend a little bit of time so you know and you'll understand what Dave's actually using. Um, we think pretty simple in the world. We think the thing that matters the most is um, radically faster DevOps lifecycle. And we mean that means that Dev has to work with ops, means it gets in production. Idea to production in the fastest possible process. Most of us have obviously heard that software is eating the world. That's long since gone. I think this is the quote, and it's also the part we believe in our heart when we at GitLab, what we think matters the most to our customers. And that is cycle time. Now, cycle time, you can say from idea to production, you can call it many things. But the functional reason this matters a lot is the world's moving very quickly. You've got to be able to take something from an idea and get it out to a customer as fast as possible. That customer may be, may be internal, the customer may be on an iOS app, they could be anywhere. Um, this also applies to a couple other pieces though that I do want to make sure we're, gonna, we're covering in some detail. Cycle time oftentimes gets very heavily applied only to an application development lifecycle. Um, that is true, it is a very big piece of that. We're going to spend quite a bit of time also today around dog ops, DevOps, particularly ops. Uh, that comes with a bunch of different naming. Traditional, this has been called infrastructure as code. Uh, there's a bunch of great tools that do infrastructure as code. Today, we're going to be talking about infrastructure as code, though, in context of something called GitOps, meaning you're checking in that code, you're testing that code, and it lives in Git. Uh, we are GitLab, so you can imagine Git is pretty important to us. So that's some context that I want you to have. Uh, it's what we measure. If you're looking for what you should measure, we definitely think the best place to look at is cycle time. It's the most encompassing, and it certainly requires both the most work, but it's the measurement that's going to matter the most to your customers. Um, our challenge that we came to at GitLab, we sort of we, uh, stumbled over it, so we believe a whole lot in iteration at GitLab. That means we start with a small idea, and we keep iterating as fast as humanly possible. Um, I think everyone maybe does that pretty, uh, is pretty familiar with that notion. Um, we've done it to the DevOps lifecycle. Um, this is the world that we see today, the challenges and the solutions. Uh, most people in any decent-sized company are running, if they're running just one tool chain, they're probably running between eight and ten different tools. If you're running in a large organization where you may have a huge number of other tools, this is pretty common, uh, if not significantly more complex. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with any one of these tools. They're all very good tools. The challenge is that you're going to find inside your organization, that you're going to have someone that is explicitly the Jenkins fan, and they do all the Jenkins work. There's going to be someone, there's a gentleman on the front that just laughed. He's the Jenkins person. 
or he knows a Jenkins person. It could be one of the two. Anyhow, they could, you could live in Terraform, you can live in Circle, you could live in GitHub, you can live in a lot of different tools. The challenge becomes you're not speaking the same language, you're not in the same UI, you're not seeing the same thing that the rest of the group and the company would see. So when we look at where, this neat, where we see this going, uh, GitLab covers a pretty wide variety, but today we're talking not just do source code, we are GitLab, so we love source code. It is a place we have a lot of pride in. Uh, we also are, um, according to Fortune now, the best CI provider for the last four years running, both in terms of one you can run in your own VPC in Amazon or manage self or uh, managed by GitLab if you wanted alternatively. Uh, a couple pieces in this that I want to make sure we hit um, is where continuous integration, continuous deployment and development sit. And so, oh, went one long. These, when you think about what GitLab covers, we're gonna cover as a tool, in a single tool, everything from your manage and plan side. This is gonna be your project management, your portfolio management, all the way down to, really, we ship with uh, monitoring, meaning we ship with like Prometheus. Can you use your own other tools? Absolutely, you can use them together with GitLab. But we see, particularly in the middle of this, really from the create to the monitor stage being extremely important uh, for everyone to be on the same page, for the teams to be using similar tools, and not because it's a tool, but because it, it facilitates a simple, simple language. You'll see a lot of those, some screenshots uh, as Dave goes through those. Um, but this is the area that we're playing. Now, a couple things that aren't necessarily fully obvious here, so I just want you uh, to have some context to us. There's a bunch of different ways you can engage with GitLab. You can download and run GitLab in your VPC. You can download and run GitLab on top of EKS. Uh, those are two ways to run it. Uh, we package the whole thing together. So it's a single um, omnibus package or Helm chart. You deploy it and you can run it. You can deploy it directly off of the marketplace. Those are all options for you to engage. What you should also know is we've invested a whole lot to make sure that you can deploy it into Lambda, EKS, ECS, Last Beanstalk, EC2, you name it. That environment has been both delivered and executed. So um, last couple things, other places. So WAG has been kind enough. We really want to work with WAG, and I think you guys are going to get a great context of the breadth of what you can do with GitLab, and that's why we want to work with WAG. Uh, notably, we have a number of other customers here that are speaking, so check out Goldman Sachs. Uh, they've been with us for a while. Uh, huge transformation for them, and they were a great software shop, as you can imagine already. Uh, their velocity, again, coming back to that uh, cycle time, went uh, from months down to many, many times a day. And for a company that's shipping product uh, like Goldman, it matters immensely. Um, the last piece before we go in here is we talk a lot about speed forward. You're gonna see some on speed rollback. So the other question is, code's great, but if you can't get that code, roll back that code if you make a mistake, or push out something new if you have a vulnerability, you're gonna miss it. And so this is also part of what you're gonna see that Dave covers. So with that said, I think I've covered the majority of the context uh, you're gonna get to play with a bunch, uh, see a bunch of it with Dave, and then we'll be open to questions sort of at the end. Sounds great. But the world's yours. Awesome, thanks. All right, so hey, I'm, uh, I'm Dave Bullock. I'm a VP of Technology, Engineering, and Operations at WAG. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with WAG, um, we are an on-demand dog walking, sitting, and boarding platform. We're in 43 states, over 110 cities. Um, we provide millions of walks per year, and like most importantly, uh, we create a ton of joy for, for dogs and their pet parents. Um, we are super pun-heavy and Slack-moji-heavy environment, so this, uh, this talk will be kind of littered with them, and hopefully they're not too, uh, too bad. Um, 
So I'm going to kind of walk through <clears throat> where we were about a year and a half ago when I started at WAG, um, closer to two years now, um, and kind of walk through like the transition that we made for both our infrastructure as well as our kind of application CI/CD pipelines. Um, so here's kind of a, a rough um, a rough diagram of our of where we were. Um, you can see we had a pretty flat um, uh, environment. It was literally just like um, the, the 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 public VPC default. No no. There was this one crazy security group. It was it, things weren't perfect, um, and there was a lot of room for improvement. Um, so, so there were some there were some other problems like in the pipeline as well. Um, so, first of all, the problem with our application pipeline um, to deploy our application, so our our, our core API, um, it was this really kind of crazy process that all hinged on a single person. Um, that it was like the only person who could who could provide a release that ended up becoming two people. Um, but it was just a mess. You had to log into different systems, click, a, you know, jump around in different places, click buttons. It took a really long time to 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 deploy the the changes. It also took a really long time to roll back those changes. So you can imagine if there's a problem trying to roll back. Um, you know, it could be 20, 30 minutes before you're able to do that, which is, as I'm sure you're all aware, is bad. You know, you want to limit the, the kind of blast radius when there's an issue. Um, we had all these divergent environments. We had, you know, our production environment that was completely different than our staging environment. That was completely different than our local development environment, which I'm sure you guys all, you know, the old adage that worked on my machine, that we heard that all the time. And so that was that was also not great for us. Um, and then we were using Travis CI, which, um, you know, it, it, it was a it's a fine product, um, although it got bought and they've kind of you know, anyway, um, it, it it limited us in, in kind of two different ways. So we were I think we have maybe ten or twenty instances through Travis CI, and basically during the middle of the day when engineers would be trying to push code, you know they would get backed up. You know it took probably 30, 40 minutes, maybe an hour for like all of our test suites to run, and I think there were six suites that would run in parallel. And so you can imagine four or five engineers pushing their their code, you, you start you start having a backup, and there's nothing worse than having an engineer that's just sitting around not being able to work because because the pipelines are still running. Um, and then the, the second bad part about it was that at night it was just sitting there doing nothing. You know, maybe we have one engineer working late, but you know th those those instances were totally wasteful and we're just just burning money. Um, and then you know, as I mentioned, there was a single point of of, of contact and failure for releases, which you know we we, we really want to empower the, the whole org. Um, so we came up with a plan. Um, and the, 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 the plan had a couple of phases that we ran in, in parallel. Um, so the first piece is potomate all the things. So there's our first bad pun. Um, the idea was to containerize the application. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the, the infrastructure was pretty flat. It also didn't scale. So not only was our CI pipeline inefficient at night, our, you know, our actual infrastructure was inefficient because you know, most people don't want their dogs walked at night. So, and we're just in the US, so you can imagine a kind of a Gaussian curve of, of use of our, of our systems. You know, those systems were just sitting there doing nothing. So we also wanted to, to create um, a, a safer path to deploy, so enabling um, you know, canary deploys and, and a blue-green um, deployment for really fast rollbacks. And we wanted to democratize the deployment so that you know, everyone you know, can, could actually deploy the code that they write. Okay, so first step um, to containerize the application, we built out a, a pipeline in GitLab using Ansible and Packer. Um, that we use to kind of build this base image, um, a Docker image, um, and AMIs for other, other uses, but that, that would run every single night. Um, we'd get the latest versions of all the different software, so you know, we'd have the security patches, trigger a build anytime there was like a, like a hot security patch that we needed to get out, um, and really push that base image into, into ECR so it'd be available not only for our production image, but for our, our local devs to so all have the exact same you know, flavors of, of OS, of, of you know, web server, of, of all the things that they needed. Um, we uh, built out a stage in, in GitLab that would pull that image, um, push it into a, from, from our, our dev environment, push the code um, into that image, push it back to, uh, up, up to ECR and tag. 
And we, we purposely built those images to, to not have any kind of secrets or config in the image, right? We didn't want to have any, any passwords, any keys. That way we could use the exact same image in both local dev environments, in tests, staging, and in production. Next piece was to build out an ECS cluster. You know, we were just, we were, we were running on, on static EC2 instances. Um, so we, we, we set up uh, ECS cluster. Um, we, we use SSH and chamber, sorry, SSM and chamber to pull in secrets and config. Really great um, uh, usage pattern, I recommend it. Um, scaled based on CPU, that we, that's where we really kind of saw our load. Um, so that was gonna ba basically save us a bunch of money and increase the scalability of our application. Um, another key part about it was um, blue-green and canary deploys. So the way we would do, we, we do it is we spin up a whole other ECS cluster. We have, so say our, our blue cluster is hot. Um, we scale up the, the, the green cluster, pull in that, that release image, um, scale out the cluster so that it matches the, the production one so that they, they have the same, you know, the, the same capability. Um, we start sending 1% of the traffic to that cluster. We monitor like logs, errors, load, everything very closely for a few minutes. Um, and if everything looks good, we cut over to that new cluster. Again, we keep monitoring, we look at those logs, we look at the errors, we look at, we look at um, you know, any kind of load spikes. Everything is good, scale it down, or if something goes wrong, we can roll it back. And so we, we, we implemented this using um, Amazon Route 53 and a layer of HA proxy. Actually, there's a talk of me on the internet talking about this, but basically we didn't trust, anyway, this is all pointless now because you can now do, do this with, with a new ALB functionality they released like two weeks ago. But we, we, to, to, to do the quick cutover and the rollback, we, we use HA proxy. And so we, we wanted to democratize deployments. Um, we wanted to empower every single team to own end-to-end -end the, the code. We wanted the developers to, to be able to, you know, work locally, make changes, push them up, um, you know, go through QA, and then push the actual button to roll it into production, and then monitor afterwards so that they take ownership. They're not throwing it over the fence to an ops team, um, that they really are responsible end-to-end -end for their code, which is just really important. So with a simple web interface using GitLab, we could do database migrations, the canary deploy, the cutover, and the rollback if necessary. And it really you know, got the whole team to, to own the code that they were writing, which is so important, right? Everyone should feel that, that, that the work that they do as a, as a developer, they own that all the way through into production. <coughs> and we, what did you see for history? What did you see for your team as you made through this transition? So what did the app team think once what you got going? Yeah, I mean, so, Ops doesn't really want to be responsible for someone else's code. They want to be like part of the team, right? They want to be like a, like, like a, like a member of the whole flow. And so A, the ops team felt great because they're not having to like do the deployments and own it. And B, the engineers felt like that they were empowered so that they could actually do their own deployment. So it was, it was great on it's both win -win. sides. Yeah, win-win. Um, and so just in, by empowering the, the teams to release their own code, you increase release velocity. They're releasing a couple times a day, you know, whatever they want, really. Um, even Friday deploys, we do Friday deploys, no big deal. Um, and, um, you know, re reduce the risk. M many frequent small changes are much safer than large major changes to, to any system. Um, second problem, and this is where I, I kind of touched on in the beginning, is that our infrastructure was a little bit of a mess. We had um, a catawask that was infrastructure as clicking around the AWS management console. Um, not not <laughs> ideal. I'm sure we've all been there. We've done this, Clearly, right? no one in the room has done this. No one <laughs> in the room has done this. We've all done this. Did you trademark um, this? Have you trademarked not this? Not yet. Really I don't, sure? don't want to take ownership of this one. But, oh, okay. um, yeah, so, I mean, we've all done this. It's, it's fine for, like, prototyping, but our entire system was running on just, like, something that was completely not, not repeatable. Um, there was no auto-scaling, so everything was fully static. Um, totally flat VPC, no, no subnets, no knackles. Um, the, there was no staging environment to test like infrastructure changes. And there was this, this, I call it one security group to rule them all. It was literally applied to like everything, like database servers, web servers, load bounce, everything. Once I went in, I had, to make a, I had to make a change. I was gonna add like an IP that could access the database. 
I accidentally changed a rule instead of adding a new one, and apparently I changed the quad 0443 rule. We also didn't have great monitoring at the time. We, customer service let me know about half an hour later people can't access the app. So definitely was not ideal. There's a lot of room for improvement. So um, so we came up with a plan, um, phase 1B, um, re-architect the infrastructure. So this is was going to be some heavy lifting, but we wanted to find everything as code, um, make sure everything auto-scaled, everything was in a single single AZ. We wanted to make, make it all multiple AZ. Um, tiered VPC subnets, um, minimally permissive NACLs and security groups, um, and enable application deployments via GitLab. Sorry, one second here. So, redefining everything as code. Um, we wanted code, not clicks, right? We don't want that Atawaska thing or whatever. Um, Terraform, all the things, we're big fans of Terraform, so we basically, you know, redefined the, the entire system in Terraform. Um, at the time, there was only, only one dev um, who was working on this, which was me, um, and so I just did a single mono repo for everything, um, modules, environments, everything in one single repo, which is also not ideal. Um, and as you can see, I had to refactor a few of those things. Um, and then in, in each of our different tiers, we had a, a separate AWS S3 bucket for state and DynamoDB for locking, which also had its own problems and isn't, is not how, how Terraform recommends that you, you manage state. And nothing was hard-coded, mostly. Some stuff was. Um, and this required some refactoring, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to later. Um, so yeah, everything auto-scale, multiple AZ. We built things in Terraform so that we could say, okay, like in, this, in, in our local environment, we only want one, one AZ. In, in our you know, production environment, we want two AZs or more, whatever we would decide on. It's just a variable that we could change. Um, you know, we, we built everything so that, um, you know, that uh, there was no single point of failure, so fully HA all the way through. Um, auto scale with variable instance sizes, so you could basically say, you know, in my local dev environment, I want T3 micros, but in production, these are C5 X larges, whatever. Um, and then we built a, a sandbox and a stage with the exact same architecture as production, but on a much smaller scale, so it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't burn a bunch of money. Tiered VPCs, so um, subnets for every tier, um, so our APIs, our workers, um, different services had their own tiers. Database had its own tiers, cache had its own tiers, the ALB, NetGateway, the only things that were public subnets. Everything was locked down. Um, locked down between tiers, so, so the database, um, you know, the database uh, subnet can only be accessed on board 3306 by the applications subnet. Um, and, and then security groups to match because you, know, you want the stateful rules. Um, and then we turn on flow logs. So we definitely improved the whole system and, and you know, we went through AWS Well Architected Review and, and passed you know, after, we, after we changed this. Um, we wanted to enable, enable those deployments. Um, so we wanted to build out the Terraform, Terraform pipeline to actually, you know, uh, the GitLab and Terraform pipeline to run this. Um, we, we built out um, GitLab runners using um, uh, STS assume roles um, so that we, we basically had a, um, we have an account where the, where the um, GitLab lives, where the, the engineers can do deployments that actually affect production levels. So there's no, no need to log into any systems, no moving code around, no running commands. You're just clicking all through Terraform and GitLab. Quick, quick note on this, just context-wise. <clears throat> GitLab has two primary pieces. GitLab, which you know for the Git space, uh, and all of those, uh, all of those, that code. The GitLab runners are where you do your CI builds because those are going to need different scale, and it's just a Go binary that runs anywhere. So yep. just and, context on that, so you know what those are. Yeah, and GitLab has this great functionality where they do auto scaling um, runners. So basically, you can, um, you know, before we had those static runners in Travis CI that were like, 20 on at a time. With the auto-scaling runners in GitLab, you basically set it, say, okay, I want up to 500 at a time, and you can set windows of like when they're active. So it's really, really efficient. Got, got rid of a ton of our, our, our bottlenecks in, in the pipeline. 
So a few months later, success. Eh, mostly not everything was sunshine and rainbows, but um, piece by piece, we moved all of our, our live production platform, like at, you know, the whole changing the plane out, you know, waltz and flight thing. Um, we empowered the teams to do their own deployments, which is awesome. Um, the systems were finally scalable. They were locked down. Like I said, we passed that, you know, AWS architected review, saved a ton of money, like significant amount of money, like a lot, um, like 75, 60% less um, we're spending today than we were um, about a year and a half ago per month. Um, increased that release velocity, which is gold, um, and reduced that risk of deployment. So yeah, not everything was sunshine and rainbows. There were some, there were some issues along the way. Um, so here's what, here's what the, um, the architecture looks like now. Um, and this is some, obviously simplified, but you can see um, that layer of HA proxy on the, on the, the front there. The, the main reason for that is that you, know, you can do, um, with a weighted C name, you can do a, a, you know, a canary deploy with just um, Route 53. The problem is we don't really trust like, you know, Verizon or, or Comcast to, to respect the TTL on that, that, on that um, DNS record. And so we, we use HA proxy to really, literally just check Route 53 every minute or 20 seconds or something to see if that C name has changed and then start you know, sending traffic over to the, to the, other, uh, to the other cluster. Um, so you know, like, like I mentioned before, you know, we, this was about a year and a half ago and I, and I always talked about in the other talk, I said, okay, at, at some point, Jetbar is gonna post like, oh, we've updated the ALB and now you can do like Canary. And so now you can do Canary and, and, um, you know, and blue-green deployments on, on, on the ALB directly. So. so this is what our pipeline looks like. I don't know if you can see that, but um, basically in the first stage there, you have, uh, we build our image. Um, we have some like test, um, basic test suites, the unit tests that run against that image. Um, and this has actually evolved a little bit since this slide, but um, then you have functional tests. Um, then, then right here, you, you see this little test QA. That's what GitLab calls a review app. And basically what it, what it does is it allows a, you know, a human to basically click a button and spin up a whole instance of your application that you can then point like your, your mobile app to or you know, your, your web browser and actually test the application. And then when you merge, it, it gets torn down or you can tear it down manually. Um, and then we, have, then we have a bunch of analyzed tests that are like these things you get for free with, with GitLab Ultimate that basically you know, um, scans your code for its static analysis, dynamic analysis, um, uh, what else? Uh, license checking. License check, um, container scan, and dependency scan. Um, so all, all really useful, we, we, we drop that in the pipeline. Um, and then this pipeline continues and it kicks off that other project, the Terraform deploy, which then basically um, spins up, you know, notifies the, on Slack, um, so here's what it looks like. The team on Slack, it pulls the, the image from ECR from, from, the, from, our, um, you know, from our, our, our QA environment, um, puts it into, into a production environment, spins up that cold cluster, and, and then notifies us that it's ready to go. And then that's when the manual part comes in where you basically click a button and say, okay, let's, let's, let's um, get the cluster ready, let's do these DB migrations, um, let's, let's do a, a, the worker deploy, um, and then, then we do the canary deploy, and each of these stages you can see has a, a rollback step. So if anything goes wrong at any of these places, another click of the button, you know, we, we roll back to our, to our previous state. Trust your pipeline. Yes, it's all in the pipeline. Um, and then it's all tied into to Slack, so um, all through the pipeline it's basically kicking off messages to, to various channels saying, okay, hey, we did this diff check, um, here's the, uh, you know, here's the, the, the image is ready, um, the, the cutover has happened, the rollback has happened, all that stuff. Um, so automated that whole thing. Um, wasn't perfect. Let's talk about what went wrong. Um, emojis. Party trying not to cry. Um, so change is hard. Um, we changed a lot um, throughout this process and 
whenever you change a lot of things, like things are, are, are bound to break. Um, systems in general are complicated, especially when you inherit like a big legacy system. Um, and then even moving stuff to new systems, there's little idiosyncrasies and weird problems. Um, things, you know, at, when you're making a, a large amount of changes, things are gonna fall down and break and, and that happens. Um, Nobody is perfect and people, especially me, make mistakes, but you know, onward. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of phase one, that's the application pipeline. Um, so phase two, um, after we kind of released this and got people using it, um, we needed to add um, into the deployment pipeline. So you know, I didn't quite fully think through all the different use cases people would kind of fall through. I thought, oh yeah, happy path. Every, every engineer is like, we all make this mistake, we just think the happy path and build that and then start, people start testing it and using it. Am I losing battery? Sure. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Ooh, that's loud. Okay. So uh, yeah. So we, we we think of the happy path, and then people start actually using the product. In this case, the product here was our the pipeline that I built, and they find edge cases and corner cases, and things fall down. Um, we we also wanted to do the full software the software development lifecycle for our infrastructure. So the app was great, but why not, you know, we're, we're defining our infrastructure as code, um, let's get the whole thing in, in a pipeline. Um, you know, I talked about that monorepo wasn't optimal or ideal, so we need to split that up. Um, and we wanted to move to that multi-AWS account, AWS, um, the S3 background, that, which Terraform recommends as, as the best way to use when you have multiple AWS accounts that, that you're, you're managing with Terraform. And plus we wanted CICD for those, for those Terraform repos, and we need to scale out the team because it doesn't make sense to just have one person on all this stuff. So just, just a, a, a little recap of where, where we were, um, and then here's where we ended up. Um, also very simplified, but gives you a general idea. You can see everything is tiered out in different um, subnets, um, you know, all locked down, all multi-AZ, so in a much better place than we, we were before. So guardrails. Um, the deployment pipeline was possum perfect magic um, until it wasn't. Like I said, you know, if you didn't do things in the right order, like if you kind of waited too long for something to um, uh, to cut over, and then you cut it over, the the, the cold cluster would would auto scale down and um, wouldn't be able to handle the load. Um, there were just you know things that didn't go quite perfectly. Um, so basically, you know, we we, we added guardrails um, and, and and continue to um, to to prevent bad things from happening. Um, uptime is good, downtime is bad. So yeah, add those guardrails into your pipeline so that you can you know protect protect you and your engineers from yourselves. Um, we wanted to follow the, the full SDLC for Terraform. So you know we have our infrastructure as code. Um, you, we want the, the normal lifecycle, just like we use for applications, um, for our, our our Terraform repos. So basically, the, the kind of the flow that we, we we did is you know you cut a branch from master, you test. You know each of our DevOps engineers had their their own AWS sandbox, um, which like you know they could have an exact copy of what we had in production, but at a small scale, so it wasn't burning money. Um, push your branch when you're happy. Um, linting in the test run, um, you get a code review. You know everything looks good. Merge your changes in, and then automatically stage and test those changes. You know, we, now we have these these parity um, staging and production environments. Might as well just run, you know, run those changes automatically and, and test against them. Um, then this is where the, the automatic stuff stopped happening. Um, we would run a Terraform plan against um, against uh, production, save the state output or save the plan output. Um, that kicks off a message in Slack. We review that, and then if everything looks good, you apply the plan. 
Um, shred the mono repo, you know, it didn't make sense to have this one massive repo, and I, I know people will argue with me about this, and it's fine, it works either way, but, you know, it definitely adds complexity to have, like, you know, 40 different Terraform repos for all our modules and for our environments. Um, but for us, it just, it just made, made sense. We wanted to be able to lock modules to a certain tag. Um, we didn't want to change on one module to break some other environment, so because we had our prod environment, we had data, we had ops, we had QA environments. Um, and so in each of those environments also had a staging version of those environments. Um, and so we were, luckily we, we built out the, the, um, the, the production um, repo with kind of like the same grunt work style of, of, a, of a specific path and then environment. So it wasn't too hard to split them up. Um, this is what I talked about a little bit. Um, uh, Terraform has a, uh, HashiCorp has a great article about how to do this, wh why it works really well. Um, but basically, we created a single AWS account that, that only held, held basically three things. So like a single AWS S3 bucket for state for all of our environments, um, DynamoDB for locking, so single DynamoDB for locking, um, and then IAM users and roles for, for, for SDS assuming in our pipeline, but also for our, for our, our various engineers um, to have access to, across those different um, environments. Um, we, we use those roles to kind of lock down access within that S3 bucket so that, um, you know, local, the, the local engineers weren't actually accidentally making changes to production. You have to go through the pipeline. Um, we use workspaces and, and role assumption to share that, those, that, that same Terraform code for a production environment to your, to your sandbox and to a staging environment. Um, it made testing, staging, and deploying much easier to scale. Um, and yeah, there's a great article about that. If you just Google Terraform AWS S3, a, they talk all about it. Um, and we wanted to use CI/CD for our for our Terraform as well. So you know we're following the full software development lifecycle for building this stuff. Let's automate. Let's automate all the things. Um, so we built out pipelines for you know running those tests, for staging, for planning, and eventually for applying those changes in GitLab. So you basically push the push the code up. You get pinged in Slack and Terraform plan. Click to apply. So let's see here. Oh yeah, and building out a team. So it, it, didn't, it didn't make sense for me to kind of just do all this stuff myself. We needed to find some great engineers. Um, finding great engineers are hard, is hard. Um, finding good engineers who Terraform is also hard. Um, so I think it's super important to you know, hire people who are passionate, um, hire people who care about the mission, about what we're doing. Uh, obviously they have to love dogs. Um, in our case, I mean, maybe your case too. That's a good, that's a good way to tell people are good or not. <laughs> um, hire people that are excited and want to learn and grow, and hire people who like bad puns and dog puns, uh, and bad dog puns. Um, so yeah, so a few months later, success. Um, we split out the mono repo, um, created a full CICD pipeline for our infrastructure. Um, we built out an amazing dog ops team. Um, we onboarded the team, and they didn't all rage quit. Um, and we came up with so many bad tongues, uh, so many bad dog puns, and uh, not everyone, not everything was sunshine and rainbows again. Uh, but here's our pipeline. So again, kind of hard to see, but uh, first step is like a, a, a lint check of the Terraform syntax. Um, then we check to see if there's any changes in either knuckles or security groups, and, and ping our security team. Um, we pull our, our production images of both uh, master and develop. Um, from ECR, and then we push that into our um, into our staging environment, and then we automatically uh, 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 plan and apply all those those changes um, um, from the you know through, through the pipeline, um, fully automatic changes applied. Um, you know, if anything breaks along the way, th this next this next little round of tests will fail, um, and then we'll you know we'll we'll inspect what what, what went wrong, <laughs> um, and then. Uh, once those tests pass, then we run those. We run the plan against all of the different um, all the different pieces of, of the environment. 
Um, if there's any changes to those plans, we basically ping out in Slack, um, and then we go through and, and, and review those. Um, if everything looks good, uh, we click those manual apply buttons, and then it applies the Terraform automatically into the, into the various environments. So here's what it, what it looks like in Slack. Um, you can see that um, you, get a, you get a notification um, you know, based on, on what's changing, um, a, a handy little link to, to go right to that, to that plan output in GitLab and see all the changes before they happen. Um, and then if everything goes well, um, you can click to apply. That doesn't actually apply the changes, it just takes you back to the pipeline. Um, we felt it was a little dangerous to have a button in Slack to just apply changes. Um, but um, you click the, uh, once the changes have been applied, you get another, another notification saying, okay, these have, these have been uh, applied and you can, you can view the output. And hopefully our other you know, channels don't start blowing up with, with, uh, with, with error messages. Um, so yeah, so what went wrong? Um, same exact stuff. Uh, change, change is hard. You know, this was a much bigger change. Um, you know, uh, kind of moving to like fr from from a single person managing Terraform on their local system, um, running Terraform commands, you know, manually on the command line, to using you know CI and CD for for actually like running those changes and applying them in production. It was a, it was a big change. You know, there's a lot of different moving pieces. Instead of just you know using my AWS credentials, we're, we're basically um, having these GitLab runners assume roles in the pipelines and, and making changes. Um, things broke, you know, as we were doing this, we, um, you know, we, we, we made mistakes, things, things fell down as we were applying things. You know, we, we moved around a lot of stuff, um, but at the end of the day, it, it ended up really good. So, and of course, you know, nobody's perfect, we all, we all make mistakes, but you know, now, that, now that it's software, you know, now, now that we're not doing things manually, it's much easier to kind of recover from these mistakes. You know, when you, when you follow the software development lifecycle, you, you know, you have the chance to like catch mistakes early in the, in the staging, um, catch mistakes in code review, and if things break in production, you know, you, you can roll back and, and, and recover. So that's what, that's, you know, you're in a, such a better place when you're, when you're managing all your infrastructure as code. Um, and then of course, you know, we, we all, you know, we, we make mistakes and, and, and recover. So um, yeah, onward. Thank you.